Welcome to Ethics Talk podcast. My name is Nina Ratsula, and I'm here joined by my colleague Anna Rombari. In today's Ethics Talk podcast, we will talk about compliance trends. The world and working life is changing, making ethics and compliance risk an ever-evolving concept. What are the hot topics in the compliance arena? What should ethics and compliance community take into consideration to keep up the pace? And what skill sets, tools and leadership competence is needed to lead a successful compliance program? With whom should the compliance officers be interacting with? Today, we will discuss these very important questions with a special guest, Philip Winterburn, who is the Chief Strategy Officer from Convergent. Philip has an extensive technology background and experience in GRC product development. He is one of the founders of Convergent, which is a modern GRC solution for the business community. In his earlier life, Philip has led product engineering and technology operations. And also he has been recognized as the um, CEO of the year in 2011. Philip, we are so happy to have you. Welcome to the Ethics Talk. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, I think it's it's so great to have you here, Philip, because when we were thinking about, you know, what do we want to do in the next podcast? What should we talk about? Uh, we were reflecting upon that, you know, it's quite challenging to be an ethics and compliance officer today. There are so many things that we need to keep up with. It's it's of course the the legislation and the rules, but more importantly, you know, making sure the work that we do actually have an impact and, and we achieve the results that we want to achieve. Um, but Philip, what would you say are these key compliance trends uh, that we should be discussing about today? Sure. So I'm looking forward to this because we're going to cover, I think, a pretty broad uh, set of trends that we're going to talk about. And I think to start with, we have to look outside of compliance and look at the sort of the macro environment in which we're operating, because I think there are some significant changes in society that are occurring that are creating an opportunity for the ethics and compliance profession to really move to the next level of maturation and become the next version of itself. And when I look at that, what I'm talking about is within society, this um, this drive for pursuit of purpose. So people looking to work for companies that they admire, to buy from companies they admire. And so this that goes in hand in hand with an accountability drive where we're holding organizations and people and leaders accountable for their actions, which is juxtaposed by this loss of trust in society that we're seeing um, with leadership and with governments um, and with media and the loss of where's the truth in the world? Where do I go to get truth in, in anything? And so I think that creates a macro environment around us which um, is changing how ethics and compliance can manifest within an organization because now we're looking at how do we actually help mold the culture of the organization to create an environment within which ethical behavior is the norm and that pursuit of purpose is felt and is the norm for everybody. Um, On top of that, we have this um, incredible acceleration of the regulatory environment around data privacy, data sovereignty, um, that is also changing the game and how we operate as an organization. So I think 
all of that is shifting around. And that then has a, a repercussion on our profession itself in terms of what are the skill sets that we need to bring to the table to actually operate in this new world. And I think it's that is changing as well. And I think we're going to get into a little bit of that later on. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think that this uh, world that we are living and, and, and putting things on a next level really requires that the compliance officers can't use the same tools or skill sets uh, that they did before. And uh, you mentioned the organizational culture, which is obviously my, one of my favorite topics. And and, uh, and I think, personally, I think that you, you cannot be a, a fixed and compliance officer um, or do your job well if you don't really understand the, the culture of the organization that where you are, you are in. But, but on the other hand, it's not always that that um, easy in practice. So what, what are your views on this, uh, Philip? How important do you think that um, for the ethics and compliance people it is to understand the real culture of the organization and, and how can you actually assess the, the true values of the organizations instead of just those written ones to, to also understand that what are your weaknesses? Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, absolutely fundamental to the ethics and compliance profession now to engage in both understanding and molding the culture of an organization. I think the days of being the the advisor on the law and where where are the breaches or risks from a legal perspective, those are table stakes. Um, when you're looking at how you can protect the employees, the company, the, your customers, your other stakeholders from misbehavior in an organization, from misconduct, the best way to do that is by influencing and creating a culture of ethical behavior. You can't do that by telling people you have to be good. You do that by creating an environment that surrounds them and molds their behavior. And so I think this understanding of the culture is essential and goes back to understanding, you know, what are the true values of the organizations? How are decisions made? What are the priorities? And then using some of the skills that we have around behavioral science and the like to actually start to mold and form that behavior and train the leaders on how to present themselves and how to manifest their decision-making processes into the organization in such a way that it's supporting the values of the organization. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with what you're you're saying, Philip. And when we talk about the culture of ethical behavior, I think for me personally, but also I think, you know, research shows that a critical part of this is a speak up culture, right? Where employees feel comfortable raising issues. And we also now see that organizations are starting to say, hey, speak up, we're listening, you know, to, to create a listen up culture as well. And, and I was wondering what, what your experience is. Do you, do you think we focused enough on really encourage and teach leaders to listen, to really get sort of the, to the ethical gist of the company? And uh, just a short comment here from the survey that we've done, this Nordic Business Ethics Survey that we've done a couple of times. We really see a clear uh, trend in that if managers do not react and do not listen, that actually discourages employees from speaking up. 
So yeah, just your your reflections on this and whether what you think we should do to make sure we actually have a listen-up culture as well. Sure. And I think this goes hand in glove with the culture conversation as well, because you're trying to create a, a culture where speaking up is encouraged, where people feel listened to and supported in that process. And so um, it's interesting because in roundtables and conversations we've been having, the the conversation around creating a listen-up environment, a listen-up culture, is coming up more and more rather than speak up. So it's it's obviously on people's minds, and I think it's very valid because we know that the most likely person that an employee will go to to raise a concern is actually their immediate supervisor. That is the person they have the relationship with, they feel most comfortable with. So unless they're reporting that person's misdeeds, they tend to go to that individual. And in general, that person is probably the least qualified or well-trained to be able to handle that situation. And so I think this is where organizations, where ethics and compliance organizations, really see their role is not the is not the person, the organization that's responsible for listening, the responsible for doing, is actually enabling the organization to be compliant, enabling the organization to have a good culture, and enabling the leaders within the organization to understand how to handle that. When an employee walks into your office and brings something up and puts something in front of you, how do you react, right? And how do you handle those conversations? And that takes a whole range of skill sets that, frankly, when you get down into... Um, maybe an engineering organization and there's a lead engineer who runs a team of 10 people, they're a highly technical individual, very well competent at their skills doing that job. They probably have no training around the soft skills of how to actually handle someone walking in and saying, I'm being sexually harassed in the office. And they have no training in how to respond to that, how to support that person in that conversation, how to emote with that person and provide the right environment. And I think that's where we let employees down because both the person who's reporting and the person they're reporting to is now put in a situation that they are both unprepared for. And so I absolutely believe um, working to increase that listen-up culture by training and making sure that all leaders go through a training program that really teaches them how to come to the table in that moment and support that employee who's taken the courage of the moment to come forward with a problem and help them through that. It's absolutely essential. So I couldn't agree more with that. Um, it's a key, key need that we often fail at. And I th- think also what we lack is a bit, uh, you know, the training piece and not the training in that, oh, you need to speak up, you need to listen. I think that's quite self-evident. But more in, as you were alluding to, Philip, the behavioral piece where you know, it's very natural to be defensive. If somebody comes up and says, you know, that I've done something wrong or that somebody in my team that I believe highly of, that they have done something wrong, uh, that I a decision that maybe I was responsible for in the past actually now is causing us trouble. It's very human to to sort of be very defensive and, and try to sort of interpret the situation in the best possible way. And these are biases that, you know, we don't see and we all do it every single day. And and then in a workplace context where where you, you know, I'm under pressure, there is a stress, it's it's so human to fail in this. So yeah, I think training and, and this sort of smart type of training is is what we need. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. When you look at the type of training, and we see all the varieties with, with our customers that go out there, that in general, the training that is pushed out are these, you know, we're trying to make them more interesting, more interactive, and all that sort of stuff. But they tend to be, here's how you identify harassment. Here's how you identify bullying. These are the behaviors we don't support. This is not our type of company. You very, very rarely see training for a manager that tells them, how do you actually respond when someone walks in? How do you, as you put it, how do you put your biases behind you and open yourself up to have a vulnerable conversation with someone who is in a moment of distress sitting in front of you raising concerns? And, and how should you respond? And how do you stop from being that de- the defensive individual who tries to brush it under the cover because you don't have time for this noise because you've got to hit a deadline or hit a sales target, all those things. I very, very, very rarely see that type of training going out the door. It's just not what people are focused on. I think it's a huge, huge miss. And just to go back to the conversation around culture, we a lot of people talk about, yes, culture is very important. We want to have an ethical culture. We train people for an ethical culture. Um, but how do we measure this? And they struggle with it. But I, I think it's actually a lot easier than people realize. I think it, it is about getting out and talking to people. There's a whole load of data out there that you can go and gather. So pull the data in, do the analysis, right? And we'll talk about analytics, I think, in a little bit about the need for that. But then actually sitting down and talking to people, right? Doing the, the road shows where you go out and you meet individuals and talk to them about their experiences, of how, how they handle these conversations. Talk to the line managers. When someone comes to you with a problem, how are you handling that? How are you trained to respond? All of that teaches you about the true values of the company, right? How people are responding in those moments. Exactly. So we, we, we definitely need to put, put the trainings uh, into that next level by also adding, adding this aspect. Um, and when we're talking about this culture, I think that uh, uh, it's, it's it's all about really influencing the, the behaviors of people. And maybe sometimes we don't even necessarily see ourselves that how does my behavior at the moment or my decision to do something or perhaps more like more even even likely in the Nordics, my decision not to do something. For example, in this scenario, when, when a person comes to me with a, with a worry and I kind of forget to listen up. So um, here it's really my my example is, is really it influencing how the other other people in uh, around me are influenced and how they will behave at the end, end of the day because we are all the time kind of trying to understand the unwritten rules of, of the organization by just looking at that how people are for example treated or what kind of uh, consequence management does the organization have meaning that actually if there is this a case of a sexual harassment or uh, um, kind of a, a really suspicious um, cost culture or or whatever. Does anything happen? Is there sanction? Is there consequence manage, uh, management? Does is there this sense of accountability in the in the organizations? And um, leaders that don't only say the right words, but of course everyone says that doing the right thing is 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 what you should do, but also that uh, you should be showing this through your behaviors and the decisions and especially those ones that are the most difficult ones. And in a typical organization, employees are are held accountable for bad behavior, except when the person is maybe, uh, maybe the person with a behavioral issue is 
the most valued talent or as leader with the strong author authority or in in at the end of the and at the end of the day we are in a situation where it's it's actually not that easy to um hold a person uh accountable because there is something to lose if you do so and um on the other hand, we all know that an impactful ethics and compliance program uh, in, in everyone should be held accountable for the same level and ethical standards should be consistent throughout the organization. But they, all, they, they always isn't. And I think that um, at, this is at least one of the biggest challenges that I see in organizations that you don't have in real life the same, same rules. And I don't know, what do you, Philip, think about this? And then any thoughts? thoughts uh how to how to address how to address this kind of a dilemma as you know as a as a co-founder we when we started conversant um we were very deliberate about the culture we created and one in the early days we had this exact conversation what do we do if a star performer is someone who actually crosses a line and we wrote it down uh right in the very early days we will not tolerate it because you can't it is absolutely, it's poisonous to a culture. And we've actually seen it over the years. I've seen it where there have been people that we've let go from the company because of this, who have been allegedly star performers. But when they go, the team around them actually accelerates. Because what you don't see is that their poison is suppressing everybody else. And so I, I have 100% support for saying... Um, it, I don't care how much of a star performer you are, how senior you are in the organization, how irreplaceable you appear to be. And I will tell you, no one is irreplaceable in any organization. I've seen it time and time again. It's like taking your hand out of a bucket of water. The water soon settles down and works out how to continue without them. Um, so I would say if you have one of those people, get rid of them today. Don't waste time. They are poison to your culture and they're destroying your organization. Amen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yay, we have an applaud here. <laughs> like we're making waves. No, but 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 it is it is so true because Philip, as you were you you started out by saying that one of the main trends is also pursuit of purpose, and we all want to feel feel meaning in some way and 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 be engaged and believe what we do. We spend a lot of time at work, and now in this sort of remote hybrid working environment, our personal lives and professional lives becomes intertwined. And I think these kind of things where you see that there is something rotten going on and the organization just sort of, you know, lets it, let, let you know, doesn't stop it. It's just continuing. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, I think it's a reason why people actually leave organizations yes. because they're like, this is, this is not a company I want to work for. And uh, yeah, just some, you know, do you have any concrete tips then? Because, you know, we heard that you've been the CEO of the year and, and stuff like that. I mean, you have really, really, you know, a long leadership experience as well. Like, how do you go about in securing that employees, you know, feel the purpose at work and that you have engaged employees in your organization? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a strong believer in a, in the sense of purpose. People need that in their lives. And I think, um, you see many people, I see people through my career who have struggled where they have not had a sense of purpose in what they do on a daily basis. And the level of performance you get out of an individual, um, is night and day difference. 
Um, and so in, you know, frankly, Conversant was a startup. The company we did before that was a startup. And in those early days, it is hard work. And in fact, the hard work never really stops. It just changes. Um, and you ask a lot of people, right? You ask a lot of the team members that come in, you ask them to give up time with family. Um, and, and you ask them to contribute their skills and effort and, and time from their careers. Right? We all have a limited amount of time in our careers to contribute that to your organization. And so that if you're, if you're asking that from them, what you have to give back is that sense of purpose to make the, help them feel that they are part of something bigger than just typing some code or just speaking to customers or whatever. There, there's a purpose to this. And um, Conversant's been a lovely company for that because we have a very high high cause. We, you know, we're driving ethics to the center of business for a better world. What better uh, motivation could you have to come to work? So Frank, it's been very easy for us to do that. But you can do it in any organization. You look across the world. There are companies, every company that you look at in general, there's a higher cause behind it. And it's about how do you take that and manifest that in the organization such that it comes down to the individual who can see that what they're doing on a daily basis is actually moving the needle forward to help drive that change. And, you know, we use um, objectives and key results structure. We, we distill those down through the organization so everybody actually sees how what they're doing contributes all the way up the chain to achieving our quarterly goals, our annual goals, our objectives, which are all driving towards achieving that greater outcome. So they can see that. Um, but I think there's more to it than that as well is around the values that you set up with the, within the company. Too many companies, the values that they have are just pieces of paper on the wall. And they're on the website, they're on, they're on a couple of posters, but you ask any employee and they can probably tell you one or two of them. I will tell you at Conversant, every employee knows all of our values because we talk about them all the time. We use them in conversations. One of our values that I love is uncomfortable which is about pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, right? Stretching yourself. It's also sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations with people. But when we do that, we're able to rely on the value and say, I need to have an uncomfortable conversation with you right now. And so people know that you're sitting back on your values of the organization to have that conversation. And so if you can ground yourself and ground your decisions in the values of the organization and align them with the, the purpose, the higher cause of the company, you've won half the battle already, right? Because the decisions that are being made will then be made in pursuit of that goal while being supported by the values of the organization. And when people deviate from that, that is when you have to have corrective conversations. And that is when you have to identify people who maybe not be aligned because we all have personal values. And frankly, if your personal values are not aligned with your company's values, you shouldn't be there. Find a company where you're aligned with their values, where you're aligned with their purpose, and you will have fun, you will excel, and the company will excel. This is, this is a great remark because based on the Nordic Business Ethics Survey, I think every third person at the work life actually has to make ethical compromises for, against the personal values. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's, it's happening out there. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. But yeah, we, we've talked now a lot about this soft side and the culture. So let's let's move on to the hard side. So the legislation. So what are the compliance trends in the regulatory landscape in twenty twenty two? Name name the challenge number one. So I think obviously something that we're very focused on because we are in the hotline business is the uh, EU whistleblower directive. 
and the, the implications that's, that's having for ethics and compliance within Europe and, in fact, around the world, because obviously it affects global companies as well. Um, and the challenges that we're seeing with it being a directive and then looking for the, all of the member states to then transpose that directive into their own local laws and then the variances we're seeing across those interpretations um, and some of the nuances within the directive around local versus global reporting are creating a lot of uncertainty and confusion um, within our customer base and within within the ethics and compliance community. So it is creating, um, I think it's a good thing, right? The intent is excellent. The intent is phenomenal. The execution is making it hard for people to actually establish phenomenal programs. I think it could have been done differently. I think it could have been done better, but we have what we have. And so let's move forward and let's go go do this thing. Um, and I'm excited to see more customers coming to us um, and working with us to provide them with helplines to support the legislation. Um, obviously, we're watching each member state as they come out with their own local laws and making sure that we can support those. But I think it is causing a lot of challenge and confusion and uncertainty within the ethics and compliance community. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's really a, a major headache for many many of us with sort of in-house roles. How to how to do this? And I I fully agree. The intent it's is great, but then the bureaucracy comes. Uh, but to be honest, you know, we see this in many areas, right? The intent is good, but then when when yeah, we try to regulate it, it, it becomes a nightmare, so to say. And and but there, I think it's so important to understand. Like why and and find our purpose in that why and it was really interesting for me because I was participating a while ago in a in a conference uh, where there were a lot of you know it was like with, within the financial sector uh, mostly and a lot of people working with any anti money laundry compliance and financial crime in in banks and there when I sort of you know I have my take I, I I'm really purpose-driven, and I think we should understand the why, and, and that should motivate us. The question started coming in from those working with, you know, money laundry controls in banks, like, you know, what does this mean for you, for us? And then I said, but it's it's everything. I mean, you are really sort of the gatekeepers. Of course, the crime has already happened, right? When dirty money is put put into, to you know, is being laundered, the crime has happened. You can't stop the crime but you can still stop sort of the perpetrator from benefiting from that crime. It is critical and you are gatekeepers there and you should really have that motivating you. Then all the regulation, that's not motivating for us, but that's a mean to achieve something good. So I think let's let's have that focus with the whistleblowing directive to just work through it and yeah, yeah. work with service providers who can sort of help, help us navigate that. Uh, so, but it's, yeah, it's been a super, super interesting uh, discussion. I think we could, you know, go on for much, uh, for, for quite a, a while still, but we, we will start wrapping up. Um, but first, uh, let's challenge ourselves. I think it's always good to reflect and, and, and uh, to, to, so my question for you, Philip, would be, uh, what do you think we as ethics and compliance leaders, what is the question that we should be asking ourselves today to make sure we are up to speed on what we should be achieving in our organizations? Um, I, I would start with asking ourselves, do, do I have a compliance, an ethics and compliance 
team that is built for yesterday or tomorrow. I would say, if I look around at my ethics and compliance team, has everyone gone through a law program? Or do I have a whole variety of backgrounds? Do I have data analysts? Do I have behavioral scientists? Do I have people with marketing and communication backgrounds? Do I have people that have worked in culture definition, worked with HR groups? Do I have people with that breadth? And in fact, which goes to a larger conversation around diversity and inclusion, do I actually have diversity of thought on my team or does everybody look like me? And so I think um, looking at that and assessing our own programs, our own teams first, because if we don't have the right team, how can we hope to actually influence the wider organization in the right way? And I think when I look at the skill sets that we need, um, we, we have moved away from just being the law department. Um, we are now an organization that needs to be using these additional skills. At the end of the day, we are about trying to change or modify or support human behavior. And to do that, we need to be great communicators. We need to know how to get a message out. We need to know how to engage people. And frankly, people who've come through law programs tend not to be the best at that. People who've gone through marketing programs, on the other hand, are really, really good at it. So let's go get some of those skills. Hire those people on your team. Help them help you create great marketing programs. Um, and then on the analytics side, we are in an increasingly digitalized world. Right? There are more and more technologies being used every day. The great thing about that is all of that software gives off signals. And if you can capture those signals and analyze those signals, you will have great insights into the health of your organizations. So do you have someone on your team that is actively going, pulling data from different systems, laying it together, creating those layers, and pulling the steel thread through those stories to enable you to actually identify where you have risk, identify where you have opportunity as well, be a value add, right? Bring business value to the table and then use those marketing people to help you create great stories so you can great engage the organization and leadership with the insights you've derived from that data. But that's why I think you need to look at your teams and say, am I built for today? Am I, built for, am I building for tomorrow? Yeah, Team, teams, and, teams and tools. Look at your team and look at, look at your tools, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Great, great questions to for for our listeners to address. But we cannot really uh, end the podcast without asking Philip you the last question. So we we have this habit of asking our guests uh, one very very personal questions, but actually what is very important um, to address when we are having an ethics talk. So um, we'd like like you to share uh, some of uh, one of the personal stories of an ethical dilemma that you have faced in your life? Well, I will, I'll share two um, to highlight two different things. Um, <clears throat> over 25 years ago now, so giving away some of my age, very early in my career, I was um, sent out to work on a customer project in Southeast Asia. And the team that I went with, we initially went out with tourist visas. And we then had to work to get our official visas certified. And the organization that was doing that for us, a local organization, um, we paid them to do it. And then they came back and asked us for additional funds, as they called it, for coffee money. And it was paid. And it went through. And we got our visas. 
And at the time, I had no comprehension or understanding of the ramifications of bribery. And so for us, it was a joke. It was like, oh, they're asking for more coffee money. And our company had not educated us at all in understanding the ramifications of what that, that so by supporting bribery, what are we doing to the culture of that com- country? And so I thought that was, it was terrible. I've learned a lot over the last year, few years. Um, but I think there's still people out there that just have no comprehension that we fail them in that moment that they don't actually know what they're dealing with. The second story I can give you is actually very current. It's today. It's every day. It's actually coming into the holiday season. It's very real. Is I really struggle now with online shopping because, in fact, shopping in general, because I've become so aware of modern slavery and the scourge that it is and how many people are suffering in the world to support our consumption economy with giving us cheap prices on things that we use and throw away. Um, and they're living in either poverty or in, in slavery-type conditions to produce those goods at the prices we want to pay for them. Um, that I am trying, desperately trying every time I buy to understand where is this being made, where is it coming from, and do I trust them? And it's really hard to do. And that actually torments me at the moment. So that that's my ethical struggle at the moment. I love buying stuff online. It's super fast and easy, shows up at the house. But each time I do that, I'm like, who who made this? And how are they living their lives? Yeah. Ouch, that's a very, very good reflection for all of us uh, who's listening now to to really, I mean, think a bit more broader than ourselves, right? Uh, but this this was such such an, an insightful and an inspirational discussion. So thank you, Philip, for joining Ethics Talk and for just taking time to to chat with us today. It was lovely to talk with you both and it's been a been a great great meeting you as well. So wonderful time. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Philip.